Hi, this is Pastor Rob Stone from Duns Creek Baptist Church. We want to thank you so much for listening to our weekly audio sermons podcast. Duns Creek Baptist Church is a community alive by grace and known by love. We long to be a force for good here in Putnam County, Florida. You can learn more about us on the web by visiting dunscreekbaptist.org or visit us any Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for worship. Now please enjoy the message. We are continuing this morning our sermon series, White Noise. And we're continuing this sermon series around this idea of prayer because prayer is our antidote to all the white noise of our lives. And last week we opened up this sermon series by talking about this idea that for us, we live in a world of distraction. We live in a world of constant noise. Now, whether that noise comes in the form of technology, whether that noise comes in the form of family or children or the people around you, whether that noise comes in the form of anxiety and worry and fear and self-doubt, or whether that noise comes in the form of a million voices inside of your head and out in the world that are telling you you're not, you won't, you can't. We have all grown accustomed to white noise. And the problem is the white noise, the distractions in our lives scream. Distractions scream. But God whispers. And prayer is the way that we learn to quiet all of the noise going on, all of the distractions screaming for our attention and obedience, and we quiet everything down that we might hear the voice of God. And this is crucial for us as people who are learning to walk with Jesus, who are learning to live in the rhythms of grace that come with a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, we have to learn to do this because the voice that we believe will determine the future we experience. And so if we believe the screaming voices of distraction, we will not end up with the blessed future that we desire. But if we will learn through prayer to quiet everything down, we will learn to hear the whisper of God. And so we've started this whole sermon series around this quote from Soren Kierkegaard, and it's a powerful one. He said, a man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until in the end, he realized that prayer is listening. Now, I think one of the things that can happen for us is that if you're anything like me, prayer does not come easily. Prayer does not come naturally. Prayer is not something you automatically jump to unless you find yourself in crisis. And here's what I know to be true. Even atheists pray in crisis. It's, I'm just telling you the truth. I have spent enough time serving as a chaplain in two different hospitals to tell you I have, I have prayed with people who swore up and down they did not believe in God. And in the moment of crisis, when their loved one was in the hospital, when the diagnosis came, suddenly they were praying. 
And we're not much different most of the time. We're often in a situation where prayer has to have an initiation. Prayer has to have an instigator. And the instigator is often crisis for us. That if things aren't going badly, if nothing unexpected happens, we don't often find ourselves running to prayer. And because of this, we have the tendency to view prayer as running to God in bringing our problems to him. Jesus, I know we haven't talked in months, but this is what's going on. I'm telling you what's happening. And we worship a gracious God. We worship a God who is okay with that. We worship a God who says, all right, come on, come on. I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to hear you. But what if that's not the true treasure of prayer? What if that's not the true value of prayer? that God would listen. And so today we're going to jump into part two of the sermon series, a sermon that I have entitled, Change Me. Now I want to go back to the first century. This is when Jesus is doing his earthly ministry. He is walking the earth in the armpit of the Roman Empire, which was uh, modern day uh, Israel, actually modern day Israel and Syria. And so what was happening is that And Jesus is from the Galilee region, this area surrounding this large lake, which is known today as the Lake of Tiberias. So this was the Sea of Galilee in the Bible, and this is where Jesus and all of his followers are from. And they ultimately kind of make this journey back and forth between the northern Galilee region and the southern region of Judea, where Jerusalem is. And so they were good Jews, and so they went at least three times a year, every year, to Jerusalem so that they could worship God in his temple in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus would walk with his followers from Galilee to Jerusalem, there was all kinds of conversations that would take place. And then once he would arrive in Jerusalem, all of his followers, now surrounded by all these other first century Jews, are essentially asking him the same questions about their faith. What what laws matter most? God, what commandments of God's are most important? God, how should we do this? What is the right place to worship? What's the right way to worship? And so we shouldn't be surprised that in the Gospels, the disciples ask Jesus the same question that I believe we need to be asking God today. And they ask it not as a question, they speak it as a request. God, Teach me to pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. Teacher, rabbi, teach us to pray. And so in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, uh, there's a um, kind of large agreement amongst historical theologians that the Sermon on the Mount was not one actual sermon, but it was the collection of of the common teachings of Jesus during his first year of ministry. So the first year after he had been baptized by John at the Jordan River and that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. During that first year, he was going all throughout the region teaching people. And so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, becomes this collection of these teachings. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus teaches us about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, to the request of the disciples, teach us to pray, 
Jesus has this to offer, and he has this to offer to us today. Beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That's an interesting word to say, right? Don't be like the hypocrites. Now, whenever Jesus says the hypocrites in the Gospels, he's referring to a very particular group of people. Now, there was this kind of high-class, high-society group of Jewish leaders in the temple system. Now, during the first century, there were kind of three competing groups of, of kind of Jewish sects that were competing about where the future of Judaism would go. So you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, and you had the Essenes. And the Essenes didn't believe the second temple, the temple they were, worship, they were worshiping at in the first century, they didn't believe the Essenes, uh, the Essenes didn't believe that that temple was valid. So they didn't, they didn't worship there, they refused to worship there, so they went off into the wilderness to worship God. And then there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were exclusive kind of legal purists. They believed only in the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses. That's all they believed in. And since nowhere in the first five books of the Bible is there any conversation whatsoever of an afterlife, of a resurrection of the dead, there's no conversation of a heaven or a hell, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They thought that God blessed you with this life that you have right now, and that's all you get. And then there were the Pharisees. They were not purist when it comes to the law. Instead, they believed in all of the 613 laws found in the Old Testament. They also believed in an additional roughly 3,200 laws that were comprised in the Talmud or the oral history, the oral teaching of the Jewish people. So the Sadducees were going, this is all that we believe. This is only that we believe. And there's nothing in this about that. And so we don't believe it. And the Pharisees are like, well, hey, we believe in all of this, and we also believe in all this other stuff, too. And so like any situation where you have competing groups fighting for power, it ends up becoming a more political fight than a spiritual one. And so think about it like you would think about American politics and which party has control of the House or the Senate. And that's essentially what was happening at the temple in Jerusalem. And so during this period of time, the Pharisees were the ruling party. They were the controlling party. If you think about it in terms of Congress, they had the most seats. And so the Pharisees were really kind of dictating the, the way that things were happening at the temple. And Jesus referred to this specific group of ruling Pharisees as hypocrites. It's not a real glowing recommendation from Jesus, right? And so what does he say? When you pray, don't be like them. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And I talked a little bit about this last week because the truth is I'm a pastor and when pastors get together, it's one of my least, it's one of the least enjoyable things to be at is when a bunch of pastors get together and pray because no one's talking to Jesus. No one is. They're competing with one another. Who can pray better? And here's what Jesus says. If that's what you're in it for, 
If that's what you're looking for, if what you're looking for is to win the piety competition and see who's better, if that's what you're in it for, go ahead. But that's all you're going to get. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying, look, if the reason you pray is that other people hear you pray, congratulations, you got it. But that's all you get. That's all you get. And what does Jesus teach us over and over again, not just in prayer, but in every area of our lives? Jesus teaches us to want more, to want his richer blessings, to want more of what he has to offer. Jesus is going, don't settle for that. I've got so much more to give you. Don't be like them. They're praying that other people might hear them pray. Don't be like them. Because they've gotten all they're going to get. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is going, look, prayer isn't a showy thing. Prayer isn't about impressing others. Prayer is about intimacy with the Father. The Father just wants to be with you. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Chapman's books, The Five Five Love Languages. It's one of the conversations I have a lot with couples that I work with. But he talks about the five love languages that we each have a love language we speak in and a love language where we receive love. Essentially, Jesus is saying, look, God's love language is quality time. Go away in secret and just be together. He's not looking for words. He's looking for your presence. So Jesus starts off in Matthew 6 by essentially saying how you pray will reveal why you pray. How you are praying will reveal why you are praying. Are you praying out publicly? Are you only praying when there's a crowd around? Well, you're not praying for God. You're praying for you. And you've got all that you're going to get out of it. But can I tell you what I found? Just, I mean, man, just in this last week. You know, we come together from 5 to 6 p.m. And we're in here and we're praying. But it's not a group of people who are all kind of praying out loud to be showy. What often happens during our prayer hour every day is people kind of just go find a corner. They go find a place to be alone and they're praying and we're all praying together over these prayer requests. Here's what I've seen God do. I've seen God answer prayer. I've seen God bring healing to people this week. I've seen uh, marriages begin to be healed this week. I've seen someone who suddenly was dealing with a physical uh, allergic reaction and it's like a day later after prayers start coming in, there's healing. This is the kind of thing that we get. It's this beautiful picture of recognizing that God wants to give you more than just other people seeing you pray. And so what does Jesus say next? And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And let me just confess to you, 
This is my struggle in prayer. And I blame it on grad school. Because in grad school, you had to essentially take what was a six-page concept and turn it into a 25-page paper. And the way that you do that is you just use more words. Can I tell you how much better our world would be if all of our institutions of higher learning, instead of saying, hey, make it longer, said make it shorter? If you had a 25-page paper and they said, okay, now make it one page, the world would be so much better place. We would be so much more on point, so much more concise. My problem is, is that I pray like I'm writing a grad paper. It's, it's like, oh, God. You ever think about it? You're talking to dad. This is the relationship we have with Jesus. Jesus is saying, look, because of my sacrifice for you, you are not slaves. You are children of the living God. He is your dad. Can you imagine calling up your dad? My dad's coming into town on Friday because on Saturday we're going to the the Florida Gator Miami Hurricane game together. So if y'all want to pray for the hurricanes this week, I would appreciate that. Um. So my dad's coming into town. So if I got on the phone with my dad and I was like, oh, dad, when you come on Friday, father, would you please, dad, bring with you my hurricane shirt I left there in South Carolina, dad, oh, please, father, hear me, dad, when I speak to you. I wouldn't talk to my dad like that, right? But we pray like that. And Jesus is just saying, cut it out. You're not going to be heard more because you use more words. Don't be like the people that have such a distant relationship to God. There's no intimacy there. They don't really know him. And because they don't really know him, they think he's impressed with words. You realize by a single word he breathed out the whole universe, right? There's nothing you can say to him that he's going to go, oh, wow. Man. You know, I, I wasn't going to answer that prayer, but I'll tell you, now that they came up with that 125-point Scrabble word, I, I've got nothing else. I've got to answer the prayer now. Jesus is going, come on, cut it out. Don't be like them. Why? Why shouldn't we be like them? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do, do we really comprehend? Do we really get this in the core of our being that God knows every single need? I just want to tell you this. Look, we're, we're going to be praying of these prayer requests faithfully over this week, but here's what I want you to know. You're writing these prayer requests down so that others can be praying, but can I tell you something? God already knows each and every one of these. He already knows. See, he is our father and he has intimacy with us. And a father who's intimately connected to his children knows what you need before you ask. 
So maybe, maybe the best part of prayer is not being heard, but learning to listen, to be changed. Maybe the best part of prayer is not all the things we say to God, because God already knows. Maybe the best part of prayer is that in our prayers, you and I learn to listen, and in listening, we are transformed. Now, this is a sermon series about prayer. This isn't a marriage series, but I want you just to hear me, husbands, in learning to listen, we are changed. Thank you, Noel. So maybe the best part of prayer is not being heard, but in learning to listen and in being changed. And here's why this is so important. Because often our motive for prayer is the crisis in our lives. Often our motive for prayer is the situation we find ourselves in Often, the thing that has driven us to our knees is the circumstance that we're going through. And I wonder today if you would be bold enough and brave enough and faithful enough to believe that sometimes the will of God is not to remove you from your circumstance, but to change you within it. Maybe the will of God right now in your life is not to pull you up and rescue you from the circumstance you find yourself in, but actually the God that we serve, the good father that we serve, the dad that we worship is going, no, 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 no. There's a lesson to be learned here. And if I take you from this circumstance, you will never learn the lesson. If I take you from this circumstance, you will never be transformed. If I take you from this circumstance, I can't bless you the way I want to. One of the biggest areas I think we see this is that when, when we see people in our lives going through circumstances, and maybe, I don't, I mean, look, I'm, I'm 38, so the majority of my adult life has been filled with social media, so I don't know what it was like. If you're in your 50s or 60s, maybe it was different for you, but in my generation and the generation coming up underneath me, here's what I know to be true that oftentimes, instead of sharing one-on-one, -on -one, here's what's going on in my life, here's the depth of what's really happening, we kind of unfiltered, just go, all right, I've got 140 characters on Twitter, let's go. I've got a Facebook post, and I'm gonna let everyone know what's really going on and how I really feel. And here's what we all respond when we see it. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Is there anyone you've ever met who is actually praying when they send up thoughts and prayers? 
I'm, I'm your pastor. Can I confess to you? I'm not doing it most of the time. That was an unnecessary gasp. You know me better by now. <laughs> Eugene Peterson, who passed away last year, wrote the message translation or, or, or kind of paraphrase of the Bible. And I love the way that he writes James chapter 2 in his version of Scripture. And this is what we read in the message paraphrase of James chapter 2. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? James, the brother of Jesus, is writing to the church, and he's writing to the church as they are experiencing their first real amount of persecution. And as James writes this letter to the church, he's saying, we are not going to be thoughts and prayers people. Because that doesn't get you anywhere. You see, because if you're really praying, if you're really seeking God, what's actually happening is not that you brought the request to God. What's actually happening is that God is changing you in the prayer. You see, prayer is not our way to let God know about a need that he's already aware of. Prayer is our opportunity to come before our Father and hear Dad say, and what are you going to do about it? They have need. How are you going to fill it? There's a problem going on. There's anxiety. There's turmoil. How are you going to bring peace? There's someone who's lonely and struggling and suffering. How are you going to go in and be comfort? There's someone that you know, and they're battling mental illness, and they're talking about suicide. How are you coming along next to that person and putting your arm around them and saying, I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere? You see, the, the best part of prayer is not that we're telling dad something he already knows. The best part of prayer is when we get to listen and hear dad tell us, and that's why I put you there. I've placed you in that circumstance to be light. I've placed you in that circumstance to speak words of truth. I've placed you in that circumstance that you might become the answer to the prayer you are praying. It's Jesus saying, look, 
God already knows what you need. So your prayer doesn't have to be long. Your prayer doesn't have to involve tons of words. Maybe the best prayer for us to pray practically is just to learn to be quiet and listen to God say, here's what I have for you to do. I believe. I believe that if the church today, I believe that if this community of faith, I believe that if the people who are the called and redeemed of Jesus, I believe that if we will get this right, we will be the answer to the prayers we have been praying for this community. I believe that if we really understand how Jesus talks about prayer, how James talks about prayer, that we will stop being thoughts and prayers people and we will become people motivated to actions for the glory of God because we pray. We must learn to be changed by the prayers we pray. We must learn to be transformed from the inside out as we listen to the whisper of God. We've just finished our first week of our three weeks of prayer. We've just finished our first seven days of our 21 days of prayer. If you haven't been with us the last week, I just want to admit to you, man, what a, what a great time to start. It doesn't have to be 21 days. You can start right here today and start in on 14 days of prayer. We have 21-day prayer guides in the back. You can pick right up at day eight today. But as we continue our 21 days of prayer, can I challenge you to do something over the next week? Until we meet again, would you be willing every time you pray just to say this, God, change me as I pray. Not God, take me out of the circumstance. God, free me of the situation. God, God, heal all the things. No, God, Change me as I pray. Because I believe, I believe that if we will be a people who truly embrace this, it will change everything for us.